And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Welcome to Long Play number we don't even know because we record so many of these in so many different orders and we don't know when they're going to come out. So this is just the latest Long Play and I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here usually with one other person but I'm here with two people, a trinity today and it makes sense because we will be covering Led Zeppelin 3. We started recording at 3 o'clock and I'm sure... What's today's date? The 16th? Uh, it's not divisible by three, so my logic breaks down. Anyway, I'm here with Mr. Bob Fisher, one of the co-founders of Long Play. Hello. And Mr. Trentus Magnus. Hello, hello, hello. And this is your first Long Play, isn't it? This is the closest I've actually come to being on any episode of Two True Freaks. So I'm, I'm freaking stoked, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it would be a Led Zeppelin a Led Zeppelin show because well yeah uh, basically uh, what happened was I I threatened I, I sent a, a, a private message over Facebook to Chris and I basically threatened to steal his car if he ever records an episode of long play without me so <laughs> that's primarily how I ended up getting here and then uh, you know with uh, Bob uh, it's actually pretty simple with Bob all you got to do is just slip him a bribe and uh, yeah he can work you in easy easy why he fits in with the Monza Corp. <laughs> well, the only other person who's been made any Led Zeppelin threats so far on long play has been Scott Gardner. He definitely wants to do a Le he's a Led Zeppelin fan himself. But there's plenty of albums to go around. And I, if, if I had to pick probably what I would think would be one of Scott Gardner's favorite Led Zeppelin albums, it probably wouldn't be Led Zeppelin 3. So maybe we'll get him on for a uh, um, physical graffiti or Led Zeppelin 2 or something like that. Houses of the Holy. Houses of the Holy. Mm. Uh, I was actually surprised you guys picked number three. Um, when we started talking and doing Led Zeppelin, well, I say when we started talking, when Magnus threatened us into doing a Led Zeppelin album, we had to decide which one. I was surprised when you guys pretty much 
quickly came back with three. Uh, it doesn't have the most hits on it. It's not the most airplay. It doesn't, when most people think of Led Zeppelin, maybe one or two of the songs on this thing might jump out at them, but not the top of their list. So I was pretty surprised when, uh, I think it was you, Magnus, at first, when you said, how about number three? Well, I think it was because I just jumped on it. It wasn't really my I I didn't pick because honestly, I could do any any of the albums. Right. Me too. Well, the allure of of doing Led Zeppelin three is number one. Like Bob was saying, it is kind of off the beaten track. I mean, everybody knows and probably admires Led Zeppelin four or whatever you choose to call it. That's often, I think, people's first Led Zeppelin album because it's got Stairway to Heaven on it. Right. And I mean, find me a bad song. Uh, apart from Four Sticks, find me a bad song really I like anywhere. Four sticks. Uh, well, I think there's always one in the room. But um, <laughs> what happened was with Led Zeppelin three, what I what I realized is this is probably the most fertile ground as far as no one, well, not fewer people at least have preconceptions about it. But the other thing is, this is an album that is kind of near and dear to my heart. And this is maybe a kind of a controversial opinion, but I'm just going to toss it out there anyway. <clears throat> When it comes to Led Zeppelin, I must say I'm kind of a, I'm more of a kind of live performance kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because they didn't, they weren't necessarily the best studio band in the entire world. I mean, you know, you can think of a million exceptions to that, but I think they mainly prove the rule. I think that a lot of their songs actually, they come to life in a more, in a, I guess a fuller type of way whenever they're they're played live when they're playing together instead of in a uh, playing in a studio and playing on a stage are so vastly worlds away from each other it's very right. hard for a band not to get the life sucked out of them in the studio it's it's just hard and the, the thing about that is that that's not really as true of led zeppelin 3 whereas houses of the holy there are very few cuts on that album i can really stand listening to I really like listening to those songs live because there's just this energy, uh, almost like this kind of kinetic energy that those songs have played live that it just, it's almost like it just gets completely sucked out the minute you you go into a studio with them. And that's totally not an issue here. These songs uh, on Led Zeppelin 3 all sound amazing in the studio. I think by Houses of Holy is when they had an ungodly amount of money to spend in the studio. So then yes. all of a sudden they became more studio put together songs. Whereas I think the first three Led Zeppelin albums are, I mean, this song, this the Led Zeppelin three has for Led Zeppelin one and two even have overdubs galore. You yes. know, there's, there's, I, I mean, that's, that's one big difference between Led Zeppelin live and Led Zeppelin in the studio is, Hey, Jimmy Page would play lead guitar and rhythm guitar. Can't do that on stage. And why it was really interesting when Jimmy Page played with the Black Crows. Because then all of a sudden Jimmy Page had somebody else on stage to play those second guitar parts. And he had to sort of change everything that he did because he would sort of he would sort of mix those all his overdubbed guitar parts together on stage and do like an amalgam of as one person, but you you can't play them at the same time. No, like one of the nice things album. about the studio recordings are the the mixture of the acoustic guitar with the electric guitar, mm-hmm. and uh, some of that is lost. I, I don't want to use that phrase "lost" because there's really nothing lost with Led Zeppelin Live. No, Led Zeppelin just... Live is just intense, intense rock and roll. 
but it's different than their studio uh, recordings. But I think that's pretty much true for a lot of bands. Um, for a lot, yeah. You know, uh, their studio, it takes a different mentality to handle modern studio recording. And when I say modern, even uh, back when these were recorded, when you're starting to get into the late 60s, early 70s, now you're getting multi-track recorders are coming in, you're getting overdubs, mm -hmm. you're getting people lay down the rhythm track and then now Jimmy Page you're going to be in the studio for the next four hours doing lead guitar work and, and we'll take the bands well, yeah and then you have a lot of people being introduced to LSD and going hey let's, let's <laughs> right. do this right. and, and let's try this you know well I think the other thing too interesting particularly about number three Led Zeppelin three their first two albums um, were were intense there was uh some rawness to it some rough uh to me it it's, was it, you know go ahead it was to, to me their first two albums were them coming out and sort of set you know i mean there was that whole movement mostly from britain of people who were really into the old american blues well exactly that's and what this I was one say. was like we're taking the we're taking these roots blues and we're going to turn them up to the heaviest, loudest, electrified right. version of them we can. <clears throat> well, to me, people keeping them people, the blues, you know. Well, some people organize or, or categorize Led Zeppelin as a rock band or a heavy metal band. To me, they're a psychedelic blues band. Yeah, they are playing blues. Their first two albums are straight up three chord four five one blues. It's blues. This album, and they, which is, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but those first two albums, they toured intensely, if that's mm -hmm. the right word. I mean, they were on the road uh, constantly. Virtually nonstop, yeah. Virtually nonstop for the first two, three years of their existence after those first two albums. They toured everywhere. You well, know, that forges you as a band right there, you know. It's well, that does. And that's what made the Beatles early on such a good rock and roll band. Right. That's what made so many of these early 60s bands so good is because they played every night somewhere together all the time. That's all they did. Yeah. They were focused. They played rock and roll all the time so then when they get into the studio particularly for their first couple albums this is the stuff they've been playing they've been playing this in their concerts they're working it they're hard working but they needed a break so after the first two or three years of working their buns off for those first two albums they went to a very secluded northern yeah. england uh, not countryside northern england, um, countryside no electricity acoustic guitars <clears throat> and wrote this album and then when they got into the studio to record this sucker, they kept the acoustic with them, but they added the intensity yeah. that uh, they're so well known for. To well, me, this is the turning page. This mm -hmm. is a turning point of Led Zeppelin. They went from just a kind of a good psychedelic blues band to uh, a thoughtful, serious um, force, force I don't know what else to say. Well, they, they became... still have their—they still have their basis of blues, but they're branching out, like like everybody was in the '60s. They were doing drugs and they were experimenting, Absolutely. and they were—and this is the album that sort of cuts a template for what's to come in the future with Led Zeppelin, yeah, which absolutely. is not and, 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 all straight-up blues. It's going to be whatever they whatever they come up with and like doing, you know. And another thing to all of this is that this is. I, there's a strange argument out there that you could make 
this is the first real Led Zeppelin album, you know, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin one, they recorded that and it's, I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's, it's glorified demos because I don't think that's completely <laughs> fair, but they didn't necessarily give that the TLC they might have because they were paying out of pocket for the studio time. And so they needed yeah. it. They basically needed some kind of a document that can win them a record label contract and then they can move on from there. I, I that one too was it was re recorded on their days off from touring and so again there's a there's a degree of tlc that's not not it's not that they don't care about the material it's just that they're it's basically catch as catch can with you know recording time and all of that yeah, they didn't have the time or probably the money at, that they needed to but mainly the time at, for the second album oh yeah they just they that didn't changes. come off the road to record it yeah and that changes here you know there is a this was kind of recorded. It's a sort of a working vacation that produced these songs and the more sort of relaxed atmosphere that, okay, now we've got the time, we've got the money, we can actually make something that's a little bit more us as opposed to something that's kind of recorded on the fly and then we just fix it up later. And it makes all of the difference in terms of songwriting quality. And I would say that, you know, pound for pound, this is probably the most dynamic and diverse Led Zeppelin album simply because it's got the softest of the soft, the hardest of the hard. But it's not necessarily just rock and roll either. It, it ventures into other territory. And again, getting ahead of ourselves a bit, but one song in particular is this very Chicago blues, kind of electric blues type of uh, sound to it that I've always just been completely mesmerized by. It's an amazing song even to this day. And I don't, it's not that it wouldn't have been possible in with Led Zeppelin one or two, it's that I don't know that they would have, it would have occurred to them just because of the schedule that they were keeping. So all around, this is an, an incredibly historic and incredibly underrated album. All right, you guys, you ready to hop into it? Absolutely. <laughs> all right, so moving into the first track, and this is one of the, the song that like, maybe this makes this album like actually a little more timely right now because it's been redone a couple times in the last few years for movies and that's uh the immigrant song mm -hmm. song talk about timely talk about timely um i think that musically and i should start off i've said this before on long play i'm more of a music guy the music's got to hit me before i give a shit of what they're saying uh you know i don't go to the lyrics first which is you know there's good and bad in that but the, the music has to grab me first and i think like their first two albums they start off here, and there's no question when the needle comes in and you're... I say needle, that's an old term, folks, but I happen to listen to this on vinyl this week. But um, as this song starts, as Immigrant Song starts, 
uh, you know right away this is Led Zeppelin. There's no hiding it. They're not trying to, you know, um, mask it. They're right off the bat. This is Led Zeppelin with, uh, you know, a great opening song musically. Then you listen to the lyrics. And uh, I'll let you guys talk about the actual <laughs> lyrics if you want. <laughs> but uh, musically, I think this is a nice way to start the sucker off. Well, and, you know, in relation to that, what we were talking about a moment ago, <clears throat> that sort of shift in tone that Led Zeppelin three represents, and the, I guess the wider Led Zeppelin oeuvre, this is... There's... A, uh, Led Zeppelin as a band, they were... what. They seem to their determination seem as performers seem to be creating sort of an atmosphere with their recordings and mm. a song is a song is about and I'm using quotation marks there a song is about what it sounds like I mean I there there are I think instances where lyrics mean something uh, often though they're sort of a companion to the music and there's a sort of alchemy that takes place where the whole is it's everything contributes to everything else and so the song it's it's about what it sounds like i mean the 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 topic the lyrical topic or the motivations whatever was inspiring robert plant on that day that's fine but you know the you know immigrant song is one of those songs that to me there's a sort of weird sort of darkness to it but there's also this aggression and it's it's really powerful, and you just you can't beat that riff. I mean, my God, that is that's a stadium sized riff, <laughs> mm. uh, just just all by itself. That is a huge riff, and this entire song. And if you think about it, it it's actually kind of a ballsy thing to have a melody like this, where where it has so much screaming, and everything that's going on is a kind of a placeholder, and mm-hmm. a time and a place when a lot of people were probably more inclined to listen to the likes of like the Flying Burrito Brothers or Crosby, Stills, Nash, Nash and Young, you know, bands like that that are a little bit maybe more on the softer side of things. And then here, here you, you come with this balls out almost metal riff. And that's a, this is a very courageous way to start what is ostensibly the acoustic album. And right. like, and like the acoustic side of an, the acoustic album. Too. Right. The side, and it's funny. Because well, this is actually the kind of the first side is kind of like the electric, more electric side. The yeah. second side's even more folksy and acoustic-y. Right. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned Crosby, Stills, Nash, and or Young. Uh, because when this album first came out, uh, since I was in high school, actually, I was in my senior year of high school when they were recording this album. Uh, my first year of college when this came out, October of 1970 is when this album was released. And um, it's funny you mentioned Crosby, Stills, and Nash because there was a lot going on in my life at the time, obviously just starting college. Or when I listened to this album for the first time, and I bought it within a week or two of its release, uh, already a, into Led Zeppelin at the time. But I remember that um, when I just played it the first time through, I just listened. You know, there was lots of other stuff. I just put it on. There were other guys around and in, in the in the we shared an apartment with a bunch of guys and um we just 
basically didn't it didn't jump out as being a great album and one of the guys says oh it sounds a little like crosby stills and nash and i'm thinking are you not listening to the vocal <laughs> there's <laughs> there's i can understand okay it's got an acoustic guitar on this song mm-hmm. or that song that doesn't make them crosby stills and nash no what are you, what are you talking about Do when when a here crosby stills and nash ever had that evil like undertone lurking <laughs> everywhere only <laughs> only when they let neil young come in with a few right. guitar riffs periodically otherwise yeah. it's all it's sweet as hell yeah. yeah but people did and then uh, a little bit later as the reviews started coming out the reviews were not particularly great i think uh, uh uh robert plant or jimmy page one of the guys said that he thought people were waiting for a whole lot of love again mm-hmm. and and it's probably true Probably true, and it just wasn't there. And I'm, I was trying to think when I read that quote. I was trying to think: is that what I was thinking? Was I expecting Led Zeppelin two when I first listened to this album? Because uh, I don't remember being disappointed, but I remember not, you know, playing it over and over again like I did uh, a lot of albums. Because uh, in those days, it seemed like every Monday I'd go buy records, and every Tuesday I'd buy comic books, and. Um, you know, I, I was I meant to look up October of 1970 to see what else was out at this time period, to see what else I may have bought uh, at that same time period, to see if something else. <clears throat> why did it take me, you know, almost a couple of years to then come back and hear this later because somebody played Gallows Pole or something, and I went, "Oh, that's pretty good." Which album was that? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. initially, I wasn't overwhelmed with this album either. I, so. This was probably the first one I listened to, so you know it's hard to. I, I'm a little, little bit younger than you, a little bit, a couple of years, um, right? And that, and that's actually something yeah. else. In case it wasn't clear, I'm sort of the young whippersnapper in the group here. <laughs> yeah. um, I came to. The, I wasn't even friggin' born when Led Zeppelin was still together. I mean, they split up, or at least John Bonham died before I was even born. A couple of weeks or a month before I was born. Mm. And so I'm coming at this more from, you know, the younger generation, not so much younger anymore, but we got a nice little divide between all three of us for different, like I was listening to this album at the same time Bob was, but I was two years old. Bob was at least (laughs) get high when he he listened to the first time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, and I, I was first time I heard it. There's I was no sitting in my pampers that, while yeah. my parents were probably secretly getting high on the porch with their friends, mm-hmm. putting up well, records. Technically, you and I probably had the same mindset <laughs> at, the, at that time. <laughs> a two-year-old and me as a 19-year-old getting high. So probably about the same. We're meeting in the middle there, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere, right. Yeah. I got to say about this song is this is the beginning. Of, I, I think this is like the beginning of a lot of metal, especially like the Nordic style. Oh, metal yeah. Where, yeah. Know, this is the this is the point. This is the song where Vikings and metal got put together. This song, this song sounds like uh, I want to say Vikings on their horses, but I'd rather say like armored tigers. <laughs> You know, riding over the plains and wiping out, sacking and pillaging. And, I mean, it's just, it's so heavy that it's almost the mix, especially, you know, nowadays we got a lot of nice remasters of it and stuff. And as you'll hear, as you have heard, we've we've talked through the song, but this this is off the vinyl album that I used to listen to when I was two years old. So it's going to sound like it did 
on the vinyl. And this song is a little muddy, you know, it was so heavy and so like bass heavy that you just didn't have that clarity in those days, but it works for it. It's just, it's, it's about probably one of the heaviest things to, to pop out since the last Led Zeppelin album. Absolutely. It was the heaviest, I think it's the heaviest song on the album and it starts it like that. And like you say, with that kind of muddy, that muddy heavy bass and the bass guitar and the bass drum, the boom, 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 they're right there both together. Everything's way down low, yeah. Except his vocal comes in at the top, high end, screaming it at the top. But not scream, it's a controlled uh, high register. It's almost like a howl. It's it's a howl, battle cry. Um, It's... Everybody was reading Lord of the Rings in those days, too. And obviously, yeah. Robert Plant was loving Lord of the Rings in those days. <laughs> this isn't one of his direct, you know, he's not singing about Gollum or anything yet, but that's coming. <laughs> and this is this is definitely a forerunner of uh, Gollum and the Evil One. Um, all right. So, Ray, guys ready to move on? Ready, Freddie. The, the second song, The Folksy But Creepy Friends. Absolutely love this song because of the guitar and the creepiness of it. But uh, the way Page plays his acoustic guitar, um, he's attacking that subtle. You know, it's a, it's a. I don't even know the words to it. It's but it's a full blown, um, no holds barred, take no prisoners acoustic. Uh, and he's all over the thing. He's just all over the thing. It's just beautiful. So it sounds a little folky. He's got the nice little acoustic riff to start it. And then he picks up the little picking, a little finger picking on the acoustic as well. Um, Nice rhythm. I just really like the song a lot. And I'm going to say that practically on every track, (laughs) by the way. Well, I think that's going to be a lot of us, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the the creepiness of it though is yeah. that's actually I, I think a kind of a good word for it. And I don't mean that like in a uh in a ew it, it, sort of it, way. Yeah, it's more like a creeping type of riff where creeping malaise. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's just got this this very strange uh, atmosphere to it that again, I mean what lyrically, what is this song about? Who cares? You know, uh this is this is complete i mean you know you could argue with immigrant song that you know for as heavy and roaring and powerful as that song is it's arguably retreading somewhat that which has come before friends is 
at this point, totally new territory. Mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin have never sounded this way before on record. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, this is a kind of a smart place to put a song this different from anything else they've ever done because of the fact, you know, if you'd let off the album with this, I think that, you know, the already sort of the ambivalence a lot of people have for this for this record would be just that much lower just because of the presentation of it. So, I don't know, this is a good right. reminder to us that the ordering of tracks, it really does matter, and it's not being done haphazard. Like today, I could believe that it's being done haphazard. Not so much with Led Zeppelin, where every single thing counts. You know, nothing yeah. is there by accident. And the album song order really counted in those days. It really made it like the you had two sides of an album. There was more of an impetus to make things flow because that was Absolutely. the way somebody listened to it was side A then side B or at least just one side. It wasn't like you know nowadays people just queue up their favorite tracks or make a playlist or whatever. Right. There was the song order was really important in those days. It made the difference between a good album and a bad album yeah, because the, people and they would try to make sure that each side of the album flowed and had a beginning, a middle and an end. Because uh, um, I mentioned this before in a long play that there were there used to be these record players that had a long spindle in the middle and you could stack albums on yeah. that sucker. And after it finished, the arm would come up, the next album would drop on top of the previous one, the arm would come and then play the next album. So unless you had doubles of the album, you could only play one side. But it's how we played uh, multiple, you know, hours worth of music and not having to get up and turn the record over all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, producers and artists tried to make sure that both sides flowed naturally. Um, and I think some of that, uh, you know, I like to credit the Beatles with probably too much sometimes more than they deserve. But the Beatles were really good at that, even in their early stuff, which could arguably arguably be um, considered just basically a collection of old collection rock and roll of hits, songs. Yeah. Just a collection of songs. They still ordered them in a way on those early albums that... Uh, you started off strong, you'd put your yesterday, your Michelle, your middle stuff, and then finish off that side nicely so that whether they turned the album over right away or came back to it later, you had two complete sides of an album, yeah. not just a collection of hits. And I think this album, number three, is a, uh, a great example of that. Both sides of the album are whole unto themselves. Yeah, the the second side of this album is almost like their postcard from from their their retreat in the from their retreat English countryside. Yeah, I think on the second side you hear more, you feel more of uh, once you learn the story of. You well, feel like you're outdoors a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of the time in exactly. it, but like this song is a perfect example of that sort of thing too, because at the end of it, it segues into the the next song. By giving you a nice, you know, electronic sort of that's continuous. So when you, as you'll hear, you know, a couple minutes ago when the song ends, it sounds unnatural cutting off because you, you, it's not supposed to actually. You're supposed to listen to these two songs together because one flows right into the other. It gives it a little transitional noise and then a guitar riff, but um. And speaking of creepy riffs, <laughs> I, I, I love I, this riff. Uh, I think I, I'm not moving into that one yet. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, not there yet. Yeah, I'm just getting towards it. I still got my friend's notes here. Okay. I think this is the, uh, well, I don't think, I, I. you can pretty much pinpoint this is the beginning of their Middle Eastern obsessions oh, yes. starting to show up. It's, um, it's not only got the, the, like you said, him playing the hell out of the acoustic guitar, which doesn't really come from English folk music or American folk music. It comes from, you know, Eastern folk music, that droney, droney, complicated rolling riff that just repeats and repeats. And and then they start adding those pre-Kashmir heavy, heavy string riffs. Which which also sound kind of menacing in a way, yeah. yeah. Singing middle uh, menacing Middle Eastern, which is weird because the lyrics are so the lyrics sound like they were playing this in practice, and Robert Plant just started to improvise words about how great it was to be playing music with his friends. Is basically what I get out of it, or just you know, uh, a happy song about the the people you like, and uh, which is so funny because. Underneath it is this music that's like, okay, are these people like sacrificing virgins in the woods though? Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it yes. from, the, from the music yes. or something. You know, maybe that's a cultural thing that I'm attributing to like weird Eastern music at that time. But it does. It's their dark minor chords, and they, oh, they sound heavy and and foreboding. And this is also Robert Plant love multi-tracking his vocals this one has a lot of the multi-tracked vocals where he's not harmonizing with himself he's just singing the same part over and over yeah. with little variations in it so like you'll it almost sounds sort of, of like a choir in a yeah, way yeah yeah but you'll end up where he'll do the same thing he'll do a little yelp before he goes into the lyrics but he'll do a different version of the yelp so you'll get two of them sort of staggered out or sometimes he'll start singing the words a little ahead so there'll be a little stagger in it, and it almost sounds like a mistake, but it it sounds good, and it gets put in your mind as you know that's that's the way it is. It's it was just a very unusual. I I mean, it's not unusual in the recording process to do that because it right. strengthens your voice. But right. the, when people do that, usually technically they just try to sing it exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So they're just trying to layer the same thing in it, and it's makes it stronger but robert plant just <laughs> would almost do like three or four different takes and then just mush them together mush them together and another recording technique that was used is that uh the exact same uh verse he would sing the exact same thing but in the studio when they dubbed it or put it over in the second track they would uh a millisecond off so that it's this exact yes. same thing being sung it's the same thing being doubled but instead of being played exactly simultaneously in the left and right track one would just be a nanosecond ahead of the other yeah and it gives you that kind of a stereo uh effect sound but i'm like you on that when they bring in those heavy uh strings on this thing playing those minor chords and i think he's playing probably a 12 string acoustic in this um because it seems to be some more harmonics than yeah uh, and finger picking a, a regular six string guitar, so there's at least three different guitars uh, going on here. Which, since he's basically the only guitar player in the group, 
we really understand how much the dubbing process was involved in their uh, studio version and how they were able to pull this off live. I never actually saw Led Zeppelin live other than videos and stuff. Either of you see them live? No. No, way too young. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the, well the I mean, we had the chance came... with the Platin Page tour, I guess, yeah, a few years exactly. ago. I did see Jimmy Page. I did see that's. I guess I've seen that Jimmy kind Page and Robert yeah. Plant on their own. Yeah, separately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and boy, oh boy, Jimmy Page was. Jimmy Page had the stomach flu when he played mm. here, and God. looked like Walking Death. He was. He was in between songs. He would literally do the farmer's nose blow, where you just like plug Snort one nostril out. and then blow out gobs out. of yeah. snot onto the stage it was disgusting but oh, boy geez. he he had this one of the lead singers who used to lead sing for uh, alan parsons and hmm. was just vocally on the robert plant better than robert plant was on the robert plant when i saw him solo mm-hmm. so it was it was a pretty amazing show i got you know, to see is- some bow action you know well this is a sort of a, an interesting song in that it actually has influenced me as a podcaster. Uh, and the the way that works out with all the studio techniques we were just talking about and layering of sound, mm-hmm. what I sometimes do in my show, especially with my Smallville retrospective, is I'll quote myself from a previous show, and I'll do that just by dropping in the relevant section of audio into this new episode. And then just to kind of give it this this sort of a flashback type of a feel, you know, that I'm not saying this live. What I do is I make a double of the, of of the recording. I basically duplicate it. So there are actually two tracks saying the exact same thing. It's the same recording. Mm -hmm. And then I just ever so slightly stagger it Mm -hmm. so that it, it has this, this nice full kind of echoey type of sound to it. And it almost sounds like, you're speaking into a cup whenever you talk, and it kind of has that reverberation to it. Yeah, so it's like and, a memory. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and where I got the idea to do that was actually this song, and I think it. I I mean I don't know what anyone else thinks, or for that matter, if anyone else listening to this listens to my Smallville retrospective, but that's where that idea came from. And you know, I I I'm, I cannot be the first one to have ever thought of doing it that way. But Maybe. this is where I got the like the germ of the idea. So instead of adding adding some kind of artificial echoey type of treatment and audacity, this to me is a, kind of a smoother, cleaner, easier way to accomplish the same thing. And that that's exactly where where I got the idea for doing it. And I at least think it sounds great. So anyway, so I yeah. you know it, it, any way that I can make Led Zeppelin relevant to my own production and recording <laughs> techniques. You better believe I'm. I'm gonna find a way. I'm gonna work backwards echo into one of them. <laughs> better believe it. So just if we ever get to, yeah, we'll, we'll, you can work it in. If we ever get a two two freaks meeting together and you're in a hotel room, we can go fishing for some blue snapper off the ACBC <laughs> ACBC con. We could, or red snapper. I'm sorry if I'm getting blue waffle and red snapper mixed together, yeah, which totally is not good. a good thing to mix together. No. <laughs> All right. Speaking of that, which has no relevance to this. We're going to move on to the next song, which is Celebration Day. Earth 
face is cracked from smiling All the fears that she's been hiding And it seems that pretty soon Everybody's gonna know And this song, as you said, kind of melds in from the previous song from Friends. They just do some little studio, nice little mixing techniques going right into this song. Um, and uh, this song got some airplay. This this uh, this actually got a little radio airplay. It was one of their one of their minor hits. Um, not sure how far up the charts it got, but. Uh, uh, once again, this is really good, solid blues, rock and roll, Led Zeppelin. This has got traditional Led Zeppelin stuff. A nice, uh, a nice bass, uh, that drum beat right there with it, and then you just got an incredible guitar with. Gee, who is this singer? Mm. One of the most unique voices ever. It's just amazing. It's a good song. I reserve the right to be wrong on this, but okay. I think this could be the single heaviest song in Led Zeppelin's entire catalog. And again, it's... In what way? It, what do you mean? Heavy in what way? Well, just the, the, the loudness of that riff. It's just unrelenting. dun da 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 dun dun da da dun You know, mm. and it just, it just pounds away at you. And even in a way that Immigrant Song doesn't. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that Immigrant Song is easy listening music by any by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> what about the but, song Remains the Same? It reminds me a little of the song Remains the Same with that sort of... But it's like the guitar is screaming in this yeah. song. And it's like in the song Remains the Same, there's a there's a little bit of craftsmanship to it. There's a tiny little part of that, yep. that heavy section. But what I always think of with the song Remains the Same is that sort of shift in the in, in the tone of the music just before the the singing uh, and the lyrics in, in the song start that da 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 and then we you know da da i had a dream you know and it kind of softens off this yes. one is is hardcore balls out from start to finish it yes. never stops yeah. and it's so fucking loud you know and, and the best way to listen to this is fucking loud, loud. Yeah, yeah, you don't turn the volume down on this one. And no. the, the secret weapon with a lot of these, you know, heavy, loud Led Zeppelin songs is always, always, always going to be, well, really two things, bass guitar and bass drum. That just right. the fucking bottom end on that thing, it just, it's unrelenting. It just hits and hits and hits. And, I mean, it really is a, just another one of those pound you into submission type of songs. I yeah, the foundation, song. the foundation on this song, like you say, the bass and the bass drum together, if you isolate this, which is kind of nice in stereo, you can isolate just that bass track. It's amazing. Yeah. He is all over that thing. And, well, just amazing. A lot of the people don't make the comparison maybe a lot, just maybe because they're from the same time period. But the Who and Led Zeppelin mm -hmm. have a lot in common that way. It, yeah. As to yeah, where that rhythm section with the Who. Their it, rhythm section, just... like, that, that, where that, like, John Paul Jones and and Entwistle were not your standard bass players who were mm -hmm. sometimes they were working off the bass note of the chord, but mm -hmm. a lot of times they were doing things that were just sort of off tan almost like jazzy, but didn't come off that way. They came off sounding totally rock and roll. But if you pick up a bass and try to replicate it, you're like, what the hell are they doing? You know, they're not starting where they should start or ending up where they and uh, and they both had a drummer that was nobody's replicated the sound of either of those drums 
you know and, they, and, they don't and, sound and like each other but they are heavy and unique you there's no mistaking john bonham i mean jason bonham's got a little of the genetics in him but you're never going to hear that those drums with you know any version of led zeppelin anymore because no. there was just something about the way john bonham played that was so heavy and unique and that sort of touches on you know one of the this isn't really a complaint. In fact, if anything, it's actually a compliment. But it is so hard to listen to, I, I mean, like a faithful cover of a Led Zeppelin song, something yeah. that tries to be what Led Zeppelin were. It's mm -hmm. just so hard to listen to because of the fact that, you know, when you listen to, just, just pick any song. Celebration Day, I guess, is a, is a decent example. I've heard covers of this song. And the bassist, God bless him, is trying his best. He's not phoning it in. He's giving this his absolute best effort. But at the end of the day, dude, you're not John Paul Jones. You're just and you, not going to do it. Yeah, and <laughs> right. that's, not, that's not a slam on anybody. I don't want to sound disrespectful or sarcastic. I'm just, this is the truth. I mean, you cannot, not just, mere mortals cannot play the way that Keith Moon did or the way that John Bonham did or the way that John Paul Jones does. And They can play so their parts. Hard. It ain't, they aren't going to sound the same. I've heard plenty no. of people playing John Bonham's drums in a Led Zeppelin song. It doesn't sound the same. It's like people playing Jimi Hendrix riffs. Yeah, I want to send people you guys a link. get good at it, but there's never anybody who gets that same sound to it, you know? No. I'm going to send you guys a link. Uh, it's kind of a coincidence, but in the last couple of days uh, uh, on my Facebook feed, uh, I have local concert venues i have you know liked their page or whatever and they send me updates to concerts and whatever that's coming mm -hmm. and uh a band that's coming to our local theater here called the beacon theater and the headline says american led zeppelin comes to the beacon theater mm. and it's apparently a led zeppelin cover band i would call it a cover band i think they call them tribute bands now yes because these guys not only are just playing Led Zeppelin songs yes they're dressed like the guys they're trying to look like them and some of them are probably some of them are probably bastard children of them no no i played with a Jimi hendrix tribute band and the Jimi hendrix and the Jimi hendrix tribute band yeah. Looked, sounded, was left-handed. He had the Amazing. spider fingers, and like he came into our dressing room and was like, "Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, how's everybody doing?" You know, and it was just yeah. like, and you got to think, Jimi Hendrix was making his way across the country in Rupee Land. <laughs> you know? A lot of little Jimi Hendrixes around. Yeah, you know. Well, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. And and mom, t you know, mom told him, "Hey, you might want to pick up a guitar." I don't look like daddy. Yeah, here's a guitar for your birthday. You know, there's a uh, Led Zeppelin tribute band. I think the name of it is Zoe So. And the singer of that band, I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I, by no means am I, am I an authority on, on uh, cover bands. But the singer of that band, he is one of the very few people I've actually heard who can sing Stairway to Heaven properly. Because you know how it gets... Like at the very, very end, like basically yeah. the last of the lyrics of the song, it goes at like, I think it goes up at least one octave, maybe two. As we wind on down the road, you know, that part. Yeah, it goes in the actually, total falsetto, man. That guy goes way up there. Yeah, and this guy actually friggin' does it. He's the only one I've ever heard sing it just right. 
Mm. And sometimes, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the idea of a tribute band is kind of rock and roll cosplay to begin with anyway. But <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but the, it's your only chance nowadays to really see that stuff performed live, and it's different performed live. It's it's fun to see. It's not going to be the same, but it's interesting to go to. And if the cover, if the tribute band is good, it's a lot of fun. I've only walked out of one concert, and his name was Elvis Wade. And I'm saying that for everybody. If you ever see Elvis Wade promoted, do not go near that concert. He's an Elvis impersonator. Terrible. Oh, my God, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he couldn't do it. It was, it was terrible. It was absolute. And women were running up to the stage sure. and throwing stuff. And I'm thinking, are you listening to this guy? <laughs> no, the, obviously Are you not. even looking at this guy? It's just amazing. It was, it was oh, cringeworthy. Okay. The only concert I've ever left was that one. About 15 minutes in, my wife and I looked at each other and said, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, time to go. let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah my, my only real notes that we haven't covered on Celebration Day are, are uh, this is the clearest mix on the album. Yes. The, the low and the, you know, the vocals are clear. And I think lyrically, it's one of the stronger songs on the album. The, the, the lyrics are more like poetic and, and interesting. Um, it's weird. It, it, it sounds to me like a song made to be the first song at a concert. You know, this is a song like the song mm -hmm. remains the same. This is the one you come out on stage and just go kablam and blast right, right at him and says, here, here we go. We're going to rock did. out I for a couple hours. I think this was their opening song on a, at least a few occasions. Right, right. It's, I mean, it's just made like a, a stadium song. What's weird about the lyrics is there seems to be a whole more verses and they just fade out on him at the end yeah Rock okay it's time to keep, shut up yeah <laughs> he keeps singing he's got and it's like you, you could hear him going but it's like oh well we didn't like these lyrics as much <laughs> or it's hit the three minute mark um speaking of hitting the three minute mark here's coming up next is the longest song uh, by about double the length of any other song uh since i've been loving you This is Jimmy Page channeling Robert Johnson or something. I mean, this is this is the one where I, whenever I hear this blues. song, I just close my eyes and listen yes. to it. I'm, yes. I love this song. And it's what five and a half minutes. It's like six minutes something. Yeah. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> it is just like I say. Uh, it, you know, I consider uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, like I said earlier, kind of a psychedelic blues band. And 
there's not even a lot of psychedelia in this one. This is just flat out blues played with the modern instrumentation of the time, played by uh, a guitarist who knows the history, who knows. That's to me what sets apart so many good musicians is uh, they're not just studio guys doing whatever happens to be the hit genre sound of the time. They're creating their own sound based on the history that they know. The history, and they're in love with that music. I mean, and they're in people, love with people it. People were in yes. love with the blues at that yes. point, you know. Yes. Jimmy I Page was just enamored, you know, the Stones. The right. Blues. I listened to probably more blues than I listened to anything else. Uh, um, Beatles, maybe, but, but blues is on most of the time around here. I've just got the blues on all the time. And to me... Uh, even in, even as that young teenager, the first three or four notes of this song, when that when Jimmy Page just starts that that lead, that's oh, yeah. my God! It's just like stop what you're doing, sit down and listen. This is absolutely pure, pure blues performed by uh, the best at the time. I don't think he could do the song any better, although. Uh, there is uh, uh, several versions of this. If you YouTube, you can find him doing it live. Live, this song. Live, and this just kills live. My God, it's incredible. Well, this is that. This was actually the song I was alluding to up at the front when I, I figured. When yeah, I me too. That's what that. I thought. Yeah. And you know, this is I think the only time Led Zeppelin really poked a toe in the direction of that sort of Chicago electric blues type of genre. Usually, they what they wanted to poke the toe into it, <laughs> they well, kicked right through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, a, a, a good majority of the um, the rest of you know Led Zeppelin's heavily blues influenced song tend to be more of like the Mississippi Delta type of sound. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I love that sound, mm-hmm. but that sort of just clean, pure electric blues that Chicago specialized in, um, you know, you wouldn't find it any place else except Chicago, and. Right. You know, it, it it tells me that, you know, number one, this guy's obsession with the blues is probably second to none. But number yeah. two, his knowledge. I mean, because if you think about how esoteric that is, you know, I mean, everybody, well, I say everybody, everybody, at least in the business at that time, had probably at least heard of Robert Johnson. The <laughs> idea, though, of going a little bit more in terms of going away from the South and more into the Midwest for your blues influence. I mean, dude, you talk about... A comprehensive understanding of the history like you were saying Bob the the, the insight into this and this is um, this is not probably the most famous I guess subgenre of, of blues which is in, in my opinion it's kind of tragic because of the fact that I've always had a very serious affection for this type of sound and you know I'm happy to have what we have I'm not second-guessing any of it but man the there's a when, it, when I think of that, that sort of Mississippi type of blues, I always th- think more of, I guess, the, the, the style and intonation of it. This is more about the fragility and the sort of more pure type of emotion. And I think that certainly comes, tr- comes through in the song where it, sort of, it starts off delicate and then it gets furious and then it's, it's back to sort of confessional. And I mean all of this just in, on a musical basis, not really lyrically, although that too. Well, and the it, lyrics are pretty pretty straightforward. It's you know, it is what it says it is, but it's the delivery of both oh. 
plants vocals and Paige's guitar in this. Well, all of them, all of them. The drumming in this damn thing, every bit of but there it is starts out with that guitar, try. and then the drum just puts it's like a heartbeat. Yes, it's it's somebody like quietly, and you can hear their heart. It's basically. As far as like the studio albums go, I think this is their like most emotional song. Yeah. And most captures what it is that made Led Zeppelin special live. And is these guys had an emotional connection. They were musicians. They loved playing with each other. Whatever, I'm sure they they have mixed emotions now or whatever, but when you put them on stage, put them playing an mm-hmm. instrument I mean, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant are replying to each other. Yeah. You know, they have this, they have the, the rhythm section to lay the basis, and then Jimmy Page and Robert Plant to just, you know, they're both singing in their own way. They're both doing the same yeah. thing, and they're, and they're working oh, off each other. Absolutely. And so for everything Robert Plant says in here, there's a little guitar and starting off very understated and weird guitar replies. And, until, and, you know, when you get live, they would do all sorts of crazy stuff where Jimmy Page would just copy what Robert Plant would sing or it was. But this is like just the closest you come to Led Zeppelin live, I think, on their studio. It's got the the the, the build and the, just the spectacular emotion of it. I mean, this song takes you through the ringer and from beginning to end. Absolutely. Clapton couldn't have done this lead any better. This is it's just an absolutely beautiful lead guitar towards the end of this thing. And Clapton can't touch this. <laughs> no, not it can't I, come close. This is I, so emotional. I like my blues. I, I, I like the I like old blues as done by the original artists. And yeah. then I just like a taste of some of the, the white boys <laughs> who, who got a hold of it, you know. Like, I'm okay with Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of, like, blues music, and Clapton falls into that category with me, where it's technically good, he's just never been able to hit me on the emotional level with mm. blues. And that's what blues is all about. It's not about hitting the right. notes. or no- It is about knowing the chord structure and the... And the to some degree, but you know, you can't ask. You know, I guarantee you, BB King didn't know whether he was hitting a B flat or right. a B natural. Right. He you didn't know. care. He was just he didn't care. To get the emotion across. He knew what it sounded like. He knew what he wanted it to sound like, right. and he knew the feelings he wanted it to come out with. And Stevie Ray Vaughan is a child of, or was a child and, of that. And there's a lot of blues, and like the Chicago style blues sort of goes into yeah. that, where it's where almost like people sort of focus on the guitar of it. And, and, yeah. and, and part of it and and the guitar solos and and stuff like that and that's good but mm-hmm. to me the blues are the sound of somebody's soul being ripped apart <laughs> and oh, yeah. this, and and they yeah. put the song to to try to put it back together or try to uh you know the the the, the blues shouldn't be like an altogether pleasant listening experience at all they should be no. an emotional roller coaster ride yeah. And we didn't even mention the organ in this thing. The organ in this song is just incredible. And because of the vocal and the guitar, you might overlook it, but holy crap. Talk about adding the emotion. And the bass in this, when uh, when he was playing, you know, when they would play this live and he played the organ, the bass was the foot pedals. Yeah. Mm. Well, Brilliant. you know, there's... Uh... 
one of the things about this song that it, it, it's just it's so typically Led Zeppelin is that one of their defining qualities, at least as far as studio recordings go, is that, like I was saying before, what they wanted to do was set a a mood to things. You know, they didn't necessarily care about uh, technical perfection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, John Paul Jones wasn't going to lay down uh, like 50 different bass tracks and then, oh, we'll just pick the one that we like the most. <laughs> they would what they'll do is they'll just play the song, play the song and, through. And if the emotion of it is right or if the, the atmosphere of it is right then they'll stick with it, even if it's got like a really fucked up mistake in there. Yep. And this isn't really a mistake per se, but it, there is a little bit of a of a technical imperfection with this song. And of all things, it it actually relates to the drums. If you listen to listen carefully to the bass drum, just before it hits every single time, you'll hear this kind of high pitched sort of whine type of sound. It's blink and you miss it, but it, it, it's in there. Eek. And it's actually a squeaky bass drum pedal. Somebody yep. didn't, uh, I guess, oil the the, the the machinery all that well. And so if you listen carefully, it's in there, but they kept the take anyway because this was the take that had the sound that they were going for. And if it's not necessarily technically perfect, well, fuck it. You know, you, you yep. can't make an omelet without breaking mm-hmm. some eggs. That was so- part of the magic of Led Zeppelin. And live, they would do that too. They'd go without a net and they would improv yep. and... Jimmy Page has played some foul guitar solos, and he has oh, hit yeah. some foul notes. I mean, they've had train crashes on stage in front of a stadium full of people that most other bands would go and hang themselves afterwards, would be mortified for. And they just right through them because they know, oh, well, that didn't work there. <laughs> yeah, next time. Keep the moving on. to that is that, you know, so, like they would, so much of that stuff was, was spontaneous. But if you listen to, uh, the first of from 1979, the first of the two sh- shows they played in Nebworth, they opened the show with whole lot of love, and it's a completely different arrangement of the mm-hmm. song that they didn't rehearse. They never demoed. They never even talked about. They just said uh, it's like the mo- the moment the song started, they all somehow gelled with each Not other. Oh, we're proof. Yeah, that's what yeah. comes from playing with each other every day. But the dark side is that sometimes that can lead to, like you were saying, like some horrible train crashes. But the the ups uh, the upshot though is that when it comes off, and usually it did, when it comes off right, you get something. There's brand no new. one to touch them. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do that. Nobody. Right. And, well, it's it takes balls the size of Nebraska to do that. That's basically all that it is. I from being in a band and seeing other lots of other bands playing with other bands. You can see there's a good amount of people, and God bless them, I don't blame them at all. They don't want to mess up on stage. It mortifies them. And and when you're on stage in front of a lot of people and you mess up, you get that feeling of, you know, that back into the classroom of embarrassment or whatever, <laughs> or you don't. Or And if you can avoid that and just and keep going and you end up, taking that risk and trying you're going to always end up with new stuff and just to bring a totally unrelated band and the, the grateful dead used to do that they would rally they would hit a re- they would mess up a song really bad and then they'd be like oh we better pull our shit together and then the next song would be really good because they'd be working working it to do something different or sometimes a mistake leads into something neat that you just start repeating and then it starts sounding good so yeah, you, you find that with jam bands a lot. Little Feet 
uh, and Grateful Dead and bands like that, uh, you know, their recording sessions were a lot different than their yeah, live their, sessions. Yeah, their albums always sounded sterile, you know. Yeah, but they get them live, and they're a jam band. They right. were, you know, okay, we're going to do this song, and this song has the basics, but when we get into the middle of it, we're going to take turns playing and yeah. flying and see what happens. And when you do that, the audience becomes involved in it in some yes. respect, whereas they're seeing yeah. something new, they're seeing something created in front of them, and they're influencing it by their reaction. So it's just a totally, yeah. totally different thing. All right, I'm going to move us along, and we're going to polish off the side A with mm -hmm. Out on the Tiles. <laughs> They start this one. Uh, we've got now two pretty good rockers in a row here. We've got a blues song, and now we're right back into. Um, well, I mean, this could have been in the first song on the album. This could have been, you know, um, it's a good, solid rock and roll song from uh, a good rock band. Yeah, this is a. Uh, it, it's kind of strange to. Th this is more all of these sort of dark songs that we've had up to this point, and this one. Is it's a little more bombastic. It's a little more fun, lighthearted. I don't think that these are lyrics that are necessarily meant to be taken seriously. No, this is. It's almost like an ode to going out and getting drunk and getting yeah, into bar fights and stuff. Having fun. Well, I think that's what this is. It's just a bar song. It's just a. It's just a rock and roll song. Yeah, there's a strut to it. It sounds like someone strutting down the street has a couple beers in them. You know, and then it's they a nice trip day. and fall down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Robert Plant always used to like to portray his main character as a as a slob or fool in the rain or you know something like that. He 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 never really took himself too seriously. Yeah, um, th I mean, this is one of those songs. It almost kind of defies commentary in a, in a weird kind of way because. It, the premise of this song is it, it's kind of right there on its sleeve and mm -hmm. it, I mean the, I always thought that this I don't know why they didn't play this live all that often be, but I, I really do think this could have been an incredibly fun song played live I do <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would too. hurt I'm your cool. fingers real quick oh really? oh yeah. it's just so it's it's so it, basically it would be Jimmy Page would have to be just going Plus it's got that rhythmic thing where it stops. Yeah, and it's 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 a little tricky. Might it might have been one that worked really good in the studio cuz he could do one or two, you know, do a few few times through it and then go okay. And then do a two few yeah, I had times actually looked at it from that point of view, but as a musician, I'm not sure I'd want to be playing this song every night either. It's, it's, okay, it's, well, fair enough. It's uh, I love listening to it. It I might be something he, he had two guitars working and didn't like how it sounded with one guitar or something. I always wonder about like why some songs don't make it live, or maybe they, maybe they just didn't like this song for some reason. Could be. Yeah. It could have been a good drum solo song too. Um, you know, there's this part in the middle here where uh, Page is just doing his little back and forth and then it just stops for uh the the drum thing 
And I'm thinking right there, that could have just taken off and do a little drum yeah. solo right in the middle of this thing. Oh, the, well, and the, that's not actually hypothetical because the closest they did come to playing this song live, like on a consistent basis, was the 1977 United States tour and the introduction to the drum solo. It, they stopped using the Moby Dick riff by that point, and yeah. to kind of introduce the song, what they would do is they'd play just the very beginning of this song. It, it would start off with just the guitar, and then they would play, I would say, just a couple of bars of it, and then it's like, this is when it gets kind of weird. It's like the song would just fucking stop. And then it's now just pure drum solo and it just kind of melts in like that. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that you kind of locked in on the drum solo. Yeah, that's exactly what they used it for. So, <laughs> all right, well, good. Yeah, I mean, I, they could have taken the end, of the grindy riff at the end of this, and turned that into a really good jam too. That just could have been built into all kinds of things too, especially but more of a jam band thing. But all right, so we're flipping the album over now. Yes, indeed. And now we're into the, I call it the English folksy side, although I don't, most of the music is like still f like based on American side, but man, this whole side just reminds me of English folk songs. And uh, the first song is Gallows Pole. may be my favorite song on the album huh? which is, really which is, yeah which is kind of weird I, I, I might have to you know uh, qualify that a little bit and say that I've probably listened to this song more than any other song on the album uh, and I used to play it uh, in the uh, from 1968 69 till about 72 not an easy so. song to play oh it was very good I don't know why I even attempted it but uh, I used to play uh, in bands and stuff too, little garage bands and whatever. But uh, periodically I would do um, uh, acoustic stuff at uh, coffee shops and little church groups. And, you know, we'd have sometimes 20 people, sometimes 200 people. You never knew. But I tried to incorporate this into my little 
uh, repertoire, my little, my little repertoire of Bob Dylan songs. I thought, well, wow. it's, a tra- it's a traditional old little song here. I don't have to sing like Plant to be able to do this. And no, Leadbelly did it for. It's based on yeah, Leadbelly's song. Exactly. So, so uh, I, I, you know, used to know this song and, and uh, played it a lot. And uh, uh, I noticed that when I was adding. Uh, uh, this album to my iPod because I've only got an 8 gig iPod so I have to kind of take stuff off to put new stuff on Mm. and I have very few full albums on the iPod after you get the full Beatle collection that's half of your 8 gigs that's pretty much out so I've got 4 gigs for everybody else Uh, so uh, I only had 2 songs on the iPod from number 3 and Gallows Pole was one of them and it just seems to always make it into playlists for some reason. I, I really like the song, the acoustic version of it, the 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 intensity of it, and the morbid story and the twist at the end. It, it's yeah. He, he, it's I, I guess they changed song. this because I guess in the original song, it's it, basically the hangman would always let the person go, but not in this one. Right. <laughs> not in this one. No, no, and. Uh, kind of morbid i just love the idea when he's saying hey friends would you bring me some gold silver to keep me from the hangman's you know and his friends say well no we didn't sorry we couldn't come up with anything all i got is this this hammerhead action figure (laughs) we got nothing got nothing for you here buddy (laughs) and his brother comes and brings some gold and brings a little bit but apparently not enough you'd think the sister would be the would be the one that uh that that turns the deal but no no, well, she lost more than her virginity if she had it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's an amazing, an amazing little twist in the story. So, uh, I really love this song. I love the idea that the 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 music sounds um, of that time period something that may have been a traditional recording. Uh, a, a song that was written in the you know 1700s or the 19th century or something, uh, played with modern uh, me, uh, instruments. Yeah, it's it's a Lead Belly song, but it sounds like an old English folk song. Yeah, or something. exactly. And uh, uh, it's just brilliant, and I love 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 this this version of it. Uh, Hangman, Hangman, wait a little while. <laughs> I think I see some people coming to going to save my ass. I love this song. <laughs> well, you know, you and I, I guess, are coming at this song then from kind of different perspectives. Because I started off not liking this song at all. <laughs> and what, oddly enough, what really changed that was uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, they did that sort of mini reunion mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the 90s. I guess I know. I guess it was a full-scale reunion, but anyway, yeah. they did what you know. I guess was the seed of all of that was this episode of MTV Unplugged, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they played maybe like two or three brand new songs, but mostly they just reworked old Led Zeppelin songs. This being one of them, right? And they had these. When you think about it, it's a kind of counterintuitive approach, but damned if it doesn't work. They had these musicians, many of whom actually come from the Middle East, mm-hmm. and they're playing this song that's an American blues song in a, in a sense, but it's got this sort of 
European English type of old folksy type of instrumentation. So it really is an eclectic way to, to, to approach specifically this song. Well, that, and I don't know why, but that's what shined a light on this song for me. And I guess I got it after that. I, and I, I guess, can totally hmm. see that because when I was li- re-listening to this for this, I'm a banjo player. Mm. And when I learned, when I taught myself, I'm, I'm quote unquote a banjo player. I don't, <laughs> I, I can play, I can play songs on a banjo. I don't know banjo styles. I, I'm self-taught sort of, right. but I self-taught myself. The, one of the first two songs that I learned were um, going to California mm. and this, and this one, try wow. to learn this one. Yeah. I got the chord structure to it, but the parts were hard. So I was listening extra careful to the banjo in this and to the, all the little, you know, background uh, instruments and stuff. And that unplugged version really was quite faithful to this. They just transferred a lot of the parts from this to other instruments, but they're doing yeah. the same thing. Yes. And with that Middle Eastern band, you got more of the droney element of it. There's one... There's one... Um, it's either it could be a banjo could be a mandolin just going ding a ding a ding a ding a ding it's playing the same two notes over and over again even when the chords are changing but yes. it's very subtle on the album but when you but when you put the egyptian band on there all of a sudden it's a major part going drone a drone a drone a drone a drone a drone and now that i'm used to that version hearing this version again i'm going okay the two are very connected and they're not as different of a, an arrangement as it seems at first hmm. and uh yeah I need to just... look that up i need to look that up i don't remember that i have it's i remember watching that unplugged thing on mtv way back when but the, ca- the version of cashmere they did was like a big uh, like oh my all, god that was amazing oh my god the, that was what that mtv unplugged was what got a whole like i worked with a bunch of kids who were 10 years younger than me at this one restaurant and they got a hold of that and then they were like, hmm, I'm going to check out Led Zeppelin. And I watched this right. whole group of high school age kids immediately just like <laughs> absorb Led Zeppelin. They're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and like the, the reason I that really works for me is because that was not a greatest hits type of reunion. They went through like the deep cuts of the Led Zeppelin catalog yeah no this they, is not a stairway to heaven type yeah. of union so for them to get it was real led zeppelin, zeppelin they were doing what they wanted to do yeah yeah they weren't and giving that, a nostalgia incredible. show at all Yeah, that's inc- that, that's a, that's amazing. That's that's a nice little story there. Um, yeah, I I just this is another one of the ones always has that touch of evil on the bottom of it. I, yeah. It's got a very. <laughs> I always picture someone riding a horse on it, just sort of like galloping along in a horse. The the music almost sounds like a galloping horse. And then when I heard the banjo, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. John Paul Jones plays banjo. And yes. uh, so I wrote mm. that in my notes and then I'm like, I better look this up just to make sure he is playing banjo. This. <laughs> yeah. And he wasn't. It's Jimmy Page playing banjo. Uh, yeah, what? I was going to correct you. And, uh, oh, no. and it, but he did borrow the banjo from John Paul Jones. 
But I just wanted to mention that as a segue into telling everybody if they want to hear some John Paul Jones, some more modern John Paul Jones banjo, there's a great um, Butthole Surfers song called Naked Man that features John Paul Jones on banjo on it. Really? That's a good band anyway, yeah. They are one of my favorites. Well, they're Texas boys, so yeah, you should appreciate yeah. that. But yeah, John Paul Jones produced a whole album by then. Uh, okay, that's news to me. I would have assumed, without looking it up, I just assumed it was Jimmy Page playing the banjo too. He's the string player. I just assumed. Yeah, had you, no idea John Paul Jones played banjo. Yeah, John, John Paul Jones is pretty. He's like he, yeah. Na- like, name an instrument. He pretty much. He's plays like Entwistle. Yeah, he's pretty much. Oh. He's very very adept at music. You know, he's he's. I'll bet you he's probably the most trained musician. In Led Zeppelin, which is funny, which would only be more ironic if it was a drummer. But, and it was the same, I think, with uh, the Who. I think Entwistle knew more about. Uh, same with the Grateful Dead. I think Phil Lesh was also like music schooled, you know, in deep jazz and stuff, and technique and stuff like that. And then, it's it's just weird that the bass players would be that because it's usually you think of the bass player as the guy who couldn't play guitar, so they just gave him a guitar, <laughs> two right. less strings to. Yeah, Paul was not a bass player until they needed a bass player. Yeah, until they needed one. Yeah. All right, moving right along into Super Hippie Land with Tangerine. one of the more this is one of the more hippie dippy yeah you're uh, right it is a little more hippie things yeah uh i think it's funny too that they uh they started the song off with a little acoustic riff thing here stop it and start it again and they left it on the album mm-hmm. i think that's interesting. a beatles song on the rubber soul did that um George started a little guitar riff, stopped it two or three times and then started it and i noticed on the dvd version that's gone but on the vinyl, it's there. Uh, hmm, interesting. I wonder why they made that change. Because on mine, uh, I actually listened to this uh, originally on vinyl, and then I switched over to the iPod. And it's it's identical. I'm listening on the iPod is the remastered version from the 90s. Hmm. So they, they did leave that little opening acoustic riff. Yeah. On the stuff. album, yes, but they are, are there. They released this mammoth boxed set, this four CD boxed set, mm-hmm. and I believe the tangerine on that four CD box set. That's actually got the little. It, it's kind of tragic in my opinion, but they cut that little acoustic guitar bit off at the front. And I get it; you have to fit so much stuff yeah. on a CD, and you've only got like 75, 80 minutes to get it all in there, and yeah. and you know you're. You're kind of hamstrung, so that I get, but it's not. God, it, it's just kind of a crying shame that this—it's this kind of throwaway little moment. Yeah, but, but I don't know gets, why it's somehow just such a major part of the song for me. 
Yeah, it was for me too. I was, you know, I really liked it. Well, it's just like the plane flying overhead. Ah, just leave it. You know, it's yeah. the same thing. It's it, I hear that. I'm, you know, I can't unhear that. Exactly. I expect it. I, I expect it would be missing if it weren't there. Exactly. You know, this song is kind of unique in the Led Zeppelin catalog. That this is the, as far as I know, this is the only Led Zeppelin song that Jimmy Page truly wrote all by himself. Mm-hmm. There are other songs that are credited mm-hmm. to him alone, but really mm-hmm. for various reasons that he had collaborators, specifically Robert Plant, that just for legal purposes couldn't be acknowledged. But this one truly is beginning to end his brainchild, you know, music, lyrics, all of it. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, like sometimes in life you hear a song that's inspired not by a place or by events or something like that. It was a person that inspired this song. And, you know, Pearl Jam has a song called Black, and it kind of has this that same type of uh, resonance to me. I want to meet the person that inspired this song. Who are you? You know, I mean, because if you can if you can drive somebody this, I don't remember who it is, but it is it was a it was a specific woman. She was a songwriter. She wrote she wrote what the world needs now is love. The woman that was who wrote Bert that. Bacharach. What the world? Needs maybe I'm thinking. Maybe I, you're, you're right. Maybe I'm thinking. Uh, she wrote two hit songs that featured love in them. Put a little love in your heart. <laughs> that were like syrupy love like syrupy songs like what the world needs now she wrote like a couple of them i just can't remember her name all right well i guess what i assumed was that this was like an ex-girlfriend or something it was it was it's it's definitely a girlfriend or somebody that he like was in love with at some point it it just it's it it comes along sometimes like bruce springsteen has a couple of songs that are this same type of way where I want to meet the person that inspired right. the song. It's just who the hell are you that you could do something like this to somebody that, I mean, I, you kind of got to figure that any kind of musician is going to be, I don't know, an extra bit more emotional perhaps than others. But even so, who are you that you could <laughs> drive somebody to this kind of react? Like same kind of a thing with what Patty, what's her name, who inspired Layla. I kind of want to meet this chick, dude, because you sent two of the greatest rock musicians of all time off the fucking deep end yeah i mean that's got to be <laughs> yes. like some velvet pussy there or something dude I don't velvet know yes yeah Often i can't well, well, wasn't it george was it george george harrison george harrison yeah, he was her from clapton right uh, the other way around it was the other way yeah. around yeah george yeah. was dating her first then clapton and i think she eventually did go back with george oh really oh i didn't know that i think that's who's uh george's son that is now performing and playing that I think came from Patty. Oh, I have to look okay. that up again, but I think that was the, the son. Uh, but th- there was a lot of wife swapping and stuff going on yeah, in those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the 70s. Free love. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, I think it's also interesting, the vocal in this, he almost sounds like he's going to cry. And he's saying, do you remember times like this? And I agree with you, Magnus, whoever he's talking about here had a, deep, deep emotional effect on him because the lyrics, the way the song is being sung, and then the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful guitar picking, the finger picking of this guitar again. Um, You know, I think it's funny. People call this such an uh, acoustic album compared to other Led Zeppelin albums. 
But there's really only three, maybe four out of the ten songs are quote acoustic. Well, they're they're the rest... writing the they're writing the book on the standard the the, the metal ballad that would come in yes. the '80s. It starts out acoustic and then rises into swelling guitar rock, exactly. just like a piece. Exactly. And this song well, is this... a perfect example of that. There's this moment in the song, like just before that gorgeous guitar solo, and mm. this is one of those things that. The times they played this song live, they never quite nailed this this moment. But I don't know why this moment always stands out for me. You know, there's this moment uh, where Robert Plant says, "Does she still or to think of us again?" And then there's this beat, and I do, and yeah. then the guitar solos, yeah, starts up. They never yeah. quite. It's like they almost weren't trying to. But my God, it just hits. Because it's like, I think of this, you know, this is, it's never not on my mind. She's always here with me. She's in my soul. And, you know, I never thought of Led Zeppelin as the band that could make you cry. That's just, I'm, I'm sorry, that's really not who they are. But I don't my think, God, man. I don't think that Jimmy moment Page is fucking is, powerful. I don't think a Jimmy Page is a lyricist who's going to make you cry, you know? know, I would not have spotted this as a Jimmy Page song. I would have spotted this as one of Robert P- Plant's more you know, emotional songs. It's, it, 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 I, and, and maybe that's because he's singing it or something, but it seemed like so, I was very surprised when I read that uh, Jimmy Page wrote the lyrics to this. Oh, I was, I was going to say, just like my closing remark on that, on that little moment is, you know, what makes it work is that, you know, to think of us again, and, I, and, and there's, a, there's a beat, he says, and I do, and then the guitar solo starts, and it's like the guitar is crying. Mm-hmm. And because it kind of has this wailing type of quality to it. And yeah, this is like I say, I mean, they're not this is not the band that makes you cry, like I say, but that. That's the one that's going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, If there was one that was going to do it, it's this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I cut you off a minute ago, Bob. What was that now? Well, I was thinking that the, the, the guitar itself, I was basically going to say the same thing you were, is that uh, like earlier when Pant, uh, Plant and Page were talking back and forth to each other with the lyrics and the whining guitar, they're basically doing the same thing here. He's mm-hmm. echoing the passion uh, being sung by Plant. And this is not typical Plant vocal. This is not his really high upper range you know, no, it's um, very subdued and, and really close to the bone. Yeah. It's close it's to the close bone. up. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very emotional, very personal. It sounds very personal. Uh, it's it's almost atypical. It it kind of jumps off at you on the album when you think of this. As I've said before, I consider them a psychedelic blues band, and most of the songs, even the acoustic stuff we've heard and Tangerine, etc., fits into that category. And then we come to this soaring, crying, whining, passionate lyrics about a love lost and a crying guitar that has no distortion on it. It's clean, um, a minor, a little minor distortion with, yeah, with, uh, with a little bit of a, 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 a reverb echo, but not much. There's not a whole lot of tricks to this. It's, uh, it's just really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Well, from going slightly hippie, we're going to dive into full-blown hippy-dippy, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's the way. <laughs>
Come on, this is the most hippy dippy song that Led Zeppelin ever, ever wrote. All right, I'm going to well, elbow my way in on this, guys. Yeah, qualify that hippy dippy comment. Yeah, I'm going to elbow my way into this, guys. Sorry. This is uh, Bob, technically, you're yeah. supposed to go first. I'm sorry. I, I'm, no, go right I, ahead. I, this is yours. Go on. This, um, this is one of those songs on the album. You know, people can make fun of it, hippy dippy, whatever. This is. I was getting into Led Zeppelin, like. I would say to an almost unhealthy degree starting when I was a sophomore in high school, but I think it really reached a fever pitch when I when I was a junior in high school and it's it's just this weird time in life that it's just so quintessential American teenager, at least to me, that you know, you're falling in love with music in general, you're falling in love with one particular band, like especially. But over and above all of that, I was falling in love with a girl. And there, and there was this, you know, this, I, I don't mean like a kind of a passing schoolboy crush. I mean, you know, this is that, that first love that, you know, everybody has, the one that didn't, that it was doomed to failure from, from the get-go just because you're a fucking idiot American teenager. But right, right. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> right. That's, that, I, I, I couldn't even tell you why. Well, there are actually two aspects of this song that, that remind me of her. I shall call her Dallas there are two really major things about this song that remind me of her one of which i can't even quantify it's just there's something about like the emotion of the song and the fact that she and i were connecting at the time that i was really really getting into this song the other thing though is that i worked at a, at a supermarket i was a uh, just a a bagger i basically you know you have all of these sort of upper crust one percenter type of you know divorcees and housewives they were coming in to buy shit and i would basically bag their stuff and you know take it out to the car you know and usually get some kind of a bullshit tip out of it it's it's a very common very average type of you know first job but part of the job involved cleaning up the bathroom the you know, both of the bathrooms men men's room and women's room right and they they had this god awful terrible Muzak station that they would pipe music through over the PA so that people can, I guess, listen to music while they take a leak. I don't know. And so it was late at night and I was in there cleaning, uh, I think cleaning out the sink and a Muzak version of That's the Way came over the PA and it had this just god-awful, cheesy, tinny sounding harmonica carrying out the melody of the song. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you can just imagine. I'm going to so, see if I can find that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it may be worth it, you know? And so I thought, you know, this song sounds really familiar to it. Oh, yeah, that's the way it ought to be. And I was sitting there singing along, and I was holding the mop like it was a like it was a microphone stand, and I'm singing the song and everything. And 
unbeknownst to me, uh, somebody actually came in at that moment. It was, uh, you know, the assistant manager on duty at the time. And he sees me just screaming these lyrics, like, right at the mop handle. And it's this horrible, god-awful music version of the song. But it's, hey, fuck it, dude. It's still Led Zeppelin, so fuck you. And he just stares at me. I'm staring right back at him. He just says, I'll just use the women's room. And, <laughs> and, and just leaves. And I don't know why. But I anyway, so got home, called up, uh, again, calling her Dallas. And... Uh, told her about it and for some reason it's like it's kind of a funny little story i guess it's sort of amusing she fucking roared it it's like she got like the full just like absurdity of that and i thought i think i love this girl you know and that's just it's one of those moments it's for as stupid as that uh, as that whole story is it's just that those little fragments and crumbs of somebody uh, of, of of your life that you know I don't know why, but I'm extremely fucking protective of this song, even though it's completely hippie bullshit. But anyway, so oh, there no, you go. Oh no, my story's is <laughs> <laughs> in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I love this song. I think this song, even though it's got some of the most hippie dippy lyric, I I always thought this song was this really deep song about like romances and friendships of people who weren't in your social class like he was a poor kid and his and the girl was out of his class but he had a friend who was maybe like a different color and his parents wouldn't let, let it you know the boy next door mm. that wouldn't let him play with him and i always thought it was lyrics about that and then i look it up and robert plant was saying that it's about ecology and the environment yes it is <laughs> Uh, yesterday I saw you kissing tiny flowers. Well, that, yeah. That's the that's the line that's like the that 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 line was like a short shorthand for bad hippie with a guitar in my in my friends in college because there was there was that guy with the long long brushed hair who knew like three songs and would sit in the quad and sing and this mm. was one of them. And he really like m like over, just over cheesed it. He he over oh, he was man. he was all yeah. cheese. He was one of those people. It was um that that inspired that Animal House, John Belushi. I gave my love a cherry. That had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I gave my love a story that had no end. I give. Oh, Bluto. Yeah, Bluto. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, where you want to grab the guitar. Where, where basically this guy, his guitar is not a tool for expression. It is a tool to hopefully fool girls into taking to get laid. Off. Exactly. <laughs> right. And he's learned a few monkey tricks on it in order to do it that's just enough to get like, and, and you know. So he this song was like always like, you know, the, the peak of his, his repertoire. And 
I remember. Did, you must ask, did it work? Did he actually get? Uh, oh, get sure, in? it worked. Oh, of course, it works. It always works. So you yeah, kidding? It, it always works. It always yeah, it always works. works. If yeah. it always, always, always that's why it gets played. done. That's why people do that. Otherwise, why would you embarrass yourself like that? Yeah. Anyway, exactly. anyway, my mm-hmm. friends and I decided that we were gonna that we wanted to mock him, but we didn't want. You know, it's. It, okay, so the guy wants to get laid and he's cheesy. Whatever, you know, who cares? It's not a reason to hate on him. Although somehow it does. Well, trigger. Peter Frampton made a mini career out of that. Right, know. right. It, 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 but it triggers a rage in me. But at the same time, I don't want to smash his guitar. But I want to communicate, just or how cheesy it is. So, I, I remember this one friend of mine was an engineering major, and he was just very just the nicest guy but he was he had a good sense of sarcasm to him and we all picked a bunch of flowers and waited till because we knew at the end he was going to kick into that's the way it's going to be and then we all sat in a circle and swooned at him and then oh. on cue we pulled out our tiny flowers and kissed oh. our tiny flowers. <laughs> that's that's just such a that's that that line i saw you kissing tiny flowers just reminds me of like a high school, you know, the high school poetry book that they put out. Some they used to put out, and I don't know if they still do it, you know. Like, but like, like English class would have like, yeah, the best writing of you know 1985, and then you would have half the poems would be something that someone took from a rock song that the kids yeah. just didn't know. <laughs> I've got a whole collection of those from my high school with Queen and Iron Maiden lyrics in them and the teachers are like, ooh, A+. Plus. I'm put, that's going in the book at the end of the year. It's great. Um, but that, that Kissing Tiny Flowers line, and I always associate it with that douche. I don't associate it with... Although when I listen to the song, I, of course, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. It's, it's like the song with the most evil of probably any Led Zeppelin song and uh, the most melancholy. It's, you know, be- between the chords and the singing, it's like one of the most melancholic songs ever. I think that's interesting. You use those two words with it, melancholy and evil, because that's that's a really good description. It is melancholy. It is soft. It is kind of sorrowful. But there's kind of this, well, which goes through all of Led Zeppelin. It has the music, least really, evil, I think, it? on this whole album, but it, it's always there. Yeah. It's it's called Jimmy Page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's this intensity that this otherworldness. This, it's, the, it's the guy you know, who lives in the castle and pours over Aleister Crowley. I think. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> but I like the song, too, even if it is hippy-dippy. I didn't put it together. It, Boy, this shows that I really don't pay a lot of attention to lyrics that deeply because I don't I'm like you. I thought at all. Yeah, I thought it was a love song too. I had no idea it was an ecology. I thought it was like, oh my, your your parents won't let you hang out with me because I can't play with you anymore. Yeah. What am I? I'm trying to do what Mama told me to do. I can't do it. Yeah, it's all. Hey, don't play with those people. They're bad for you. And kiss a flower. Yeah, or that, good. Uh, we don't like be that girl's one. parents or something. That's yeah. What, that's that's what, what I thought. I about it. So, and I mean the 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 and the the title of the song. That's what it sounds like. You know, why can't I hang out with them? Oh, that's just the way it is. You know, your types don't mix or whatever. But guess I was wrong. The boy next door. Okay, now. Here's where we it gets interesting because I'm not sure I'm good. I've never tried to say this out loud. <laughs> I can say it if you'd like. Okay, the next song is Brom Rar Stomp. Bron Rar? 
Yeah, uh, Brom. Yeah, it's 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 basically Welsh pronunciation. So you, I, I know it says in. It's actually you would you would want to pronounce that more like M, like Mary. So Brom Rar Stomp. Brom Rar Stomp. Again, I love the idea that it's, and and this is another one of the songs that probably gives people the idea that overall this is an acoustic album for Led Zeppelin, because again it starts off with some great rhythm acoustic guitar. Oh, well, and some nice thing, harmonies. Yeah, and the thing about this that that actually kind of works for me is that it's it's just so peppy, you know, it's so upbeat. It's it's there's a there's a joy to this song, you know. Yeah, this this is this is this is one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs of all time. Really? Yeah. It's strange it's... to think like the origin of this song is actually electric. I mean, I would never would in a million years I never would have thought this song started off electric and then they made it acoustic. But the demos don't lie. I mean, you can find a song on the special edition of this album, and I've actually had this track for years, but now it's been officially released. It's called Jennings Farm Blues. And it's basically an instrumental electric version of this. It's got a different uh, rhythm track. It's a, a different drum pattern. It's basically a little more conventional bass snare, bass snare, bass snare, instead of that sort of thumping, almost bass only type of rhythm. The the demo is bass snare, bass snare, and it's fully electric. Whereas Brahmar Stomp is a finished song. It's got lyrics. It's mostly acoustic, and it's and it's got that kind of Oh yeah, it's it, I I love sing along songs with just a thumping bass where it's just going. And the bass, oh my makes god, me the bass happy. is awesome on this song, is it not? Everything on the song is is awesome. Just everything. every every uh, the way they put everything. it together, it's I. This song, this is my favorite sing along song. It's this 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 song. To me, and it's funny because they're both about dogs. Yes, <laughs> they're both yes, about beloved pets. And uh, and what's the dog's name? Strider. Yes, indeed. <laughs> As he would, I, I, and that's another thing of pure Robert Plant cheese. Well, for one, Strider's right. He got the name right out of the Lord of the Rings. Let's yes. obviously, but I just it was. This is, I love. I, I wondered if, if Strider was going to come up because that's like my favorite part. One of my favorite parts besides the music of Led Zeppelin was Robert Plant's bizarre exclamations or, you know, stuff that meant something maybe only to him. You know, <laughs> they would do this song and it would end and he would just go Strider. Yeah, this, I always compare this song 
This song occupies the same happy part in my soul with Martha My Dear off the White Album mm -hmm. as, 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 as happy pet sing-along songs that just make me very happy when I listen to them. I, my, my homework on this was listening to this. My, my roommate went off to do something yesterday and I had the house to myself so I plugged my iPod in and I got in the shower. Mm. Did a did a quote unquote sing along. All right, <laughs> and that was that was the that was the high point. <laughs> there should be uh, waterproof iPods. I, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I'm sure they have things to rig up into your shower. Yeah, many times you just want to go in and take a hot shower as long as the hot water lasts and be nice to have music other than just you know blasting it really loud all over the whole house but hey you do what you got to do dude yeah well we, we just got a separate we just got a separate <laughs> set of computer speakers set up in our bathroom to plug ipods into or whatever uh, oh cool smart idea going high tech i see yeah music and showers are are two great things uh-huh <laughs> and a good dump a good dump is highly underrated a good dump, a shower with music playing all at the same time. That's <laughs> hey. another story. Yeah, I don't know. About <laughs> I've said too much. <laughs> yeah. You know, like on that note, though, you know, there was this guy that I worked with and we're going way off topic here. But um, there was this guy that I worked with. Um, I used to work at a, a computer company in the Heights. And this is ages and ages and ages ago. But there was this guy who would it's this was almost like a religious experience for the guy the way he talked about it. he's like you know what the greatest feeling in the world is man i'm like well i can think of a couple of things that might fit that <laughs> but uh, uh why don't you tell me what you think the greatest feeling in the world is he's like you know that that anticipation before you go out uh on a first date with somebody and you, and you got to do the sss maneuver before you start and i'm like oh wait SS, sss what's sss shit shower and shave yeah, and that's what and he would shit just fucking shit. go on and on and on. He's like, dude, you got to do the shit, you got to do the shower, you got to do the shave. You can't, and that's the order you got to. If you if you fuck up that order, you're fucking up your whole night. You have got to get the order right. It's got to be perfect. Just as long as you got the shit on the front end, you're okay. I think. <laughs> right, right. You don't want to be shitting in the shower. Yeah, no kidding. And, and it's, but it's just like that guy would just fuck like every day with the shit shower shave. And and you you know that guy that it. He comes to work and it, it's like he's just heard an old, like this really fucking old joke for the first time recently. Yeah. And he's just running this shit into the ground over and over and over again every day. Yep. He was that guy, you know? And, anyways, that's anytime the subject of that comes up, you know, that's just, I'm that sorry, guy that's, now. <laughs> yeah, the guy that talks about dating without I, having a date. I purposely, whenever I get a new job, I slowly try to instill really bad old jokes into the rotation of daily life there but you see you have a method to your madness i do you, i i you have I, a plan i spend too much time on my plans in that right, regard yeah this there, guy's just an idiot yeah right so. you see there's a difference in having a plan to torture people and just that's torturing true. people because you're an asshole that's true i i know <laughs> that i'm torturing people exactly. exactly exactly and speaking of torturing people we're gonna torture magnus next with the last song the last song that's off to roy harper Yay! 
Hats off to this awesome song, huh, Magnus? <laughs> I'm going to be the heretic in the room here and just say, I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time. This is the one song on the album I just cannot abide. I cannot you listen to the song. Uh, yeah, I don't even think it's... In, I don't think I even have it on my iPod, because I thought, well, nine songs on Led Zeppelin 3, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, why tempt fate with the tenth one, right? So I just leave hats off to Roy Harperoff. Uh, off of my playlist sorry Bob well when I say earlier that I kind of categorize uh, Led Zeppelin as a psychedelic blues band mm. and earlier on the album we heard some kind of hippy dippy stuff and some uh, blues outright blues this one kind of might fall into that little bit of a psychedelic drug induced paranoia state of I don't know what they knew if they were talking about or recording. Uh, it until I put this album on my iPod to, for the show, this was not on there either. This is. Oh, okay. uh, I, I, I always pictured this instead of them going psychedelic trippy, they were going like low. They they distorted the hell out of it, but it almost seemed like an attempt to make it sound like it was coming from an old radio. Yeah. You no, know? and it was. I mean. Yeah. It's it's obviously Robert Plant's obviously singing through like an amp instead of a sound system or into a mic because it's got that um, I can't remember what the effect is but it's sort of a stutter that gives it the ah 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 sort yeah, of yeah it's it's heavy reverb vibrato with, sort with of vibrato and, and uh, distortion on the and vocal distortion too. it sounds like yeah, it's when, very you, oscillated yeah yeah it's when yeah. you it's when you it, that's what it sounds like when you plug your mic. Like if you're singing through like a harmonica mic or just like an old microphone through a right. through an amp, and and then they set up the mic in front of it to get the, so it ha- and he's doing the real like garbling. To me, this song is basically bring it on home without the payoff. Yeah, <laughs> bring it on home is just sort of like yeah. yeah, we'll make it sound like you know, just an old old guy singing with his guitar and his harmonica and. And singing, you know, quietly the and then yeah. this just doesn't have the electric kick in version of it, you know. Uh, you're, you're waiting no, for, you're waiting it, for it to like sort of turn into like the lemon song or something, but it never fucking yeah, it never does. does. <laughs> it never kicks in. It never gives you the Jimmy Page great lead that you're hoping this will do. All you're really getting is uh, no Robert ways, Plant. Right. Yeah, you're just getting Robert Plant playing vocals with uh, some sound effects or something. I don't know how much of this was done in studio while they were recording it through the amps and stuff, or if this was post-production, but uh, it's it's hard to listen to. It's it like really an is. afterthought. It's sort of like a coda, yeah. I think, on the... 
on the album. Which is a little disappointing because sometimes, you know, for for the last song on albums, I kind of like mic drop type songs that just say, all right, that's all we got. We don't have any more and you can't do any better. We just flat out kicked it on this one. This particular song is kind of, I think, the weakest song on the album. And it's the last one. The good thing about that was back in the old days with the album, uh, as soon as this one started with that little, you just got up and flipped the record off. Push the button. Over. <laughs> yeah, it was over. You know, the album was over. So, um, well, the, uh, I, I kind of like the idea, like yes. conceptually, of an album that just kind of uh, peters out. Like there's a defined end point if you want that to be the ending, but then there's also this kind of, I don't know, kind of trickle effect. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam, oddly enough, on their third album, uh, did something kind of similar where I think the, like the consensus is the last, like the last real song on, on Vitology is Immortality. And so if you want that to be the end of the album, then by golly, that's the end of the album. But if you've just got to have a little bit more of just this kind of meandering, not psychedelic exactly, but this weird just kind of cacophony, collage type of thing. It's fucking insane, but it's the song called Stupid Mop. It's not even a song, but it's this track that's called Stupid Mop. And it's got like musical aspects to it, but it's got a lot of audio samples and some other stuff to it. It's just totally nothing like the kind of music that, especially in that vintage, that they would that they were famous for. And I kind of like the idea of an uh, of an album that just kind of cruises away into the sunset. Yeah, and, and maybe more... on a little bit of a weird kind of fucked up "what were you thinking" type of note, but <laughs> well, it just doesn't work here on those Zeppelin three. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can sort of I, see I, I where they were going, it. but it's not definitely one that it's like, oh, I'm gonna pull up ha- hats off to Roy Harper, although it, it did. Right. It did make me look up who Roy Harper was, you know, years ago. And was, oh, yeah. I, I was always thinking Roy Harper was going to be, it, it sounds like an old blues singer or something, but right. it was Ooh, like a street musician in in um, in England that was like their age, their, like their peer. Right. Yeah. Ended I, up I have a cigar. Him. He's the vocals on Have a Cigar. Ooh. So See, I'm like that too. If I hear a, a band or a, uh, an artist I like mention somebody else in their song, I usually go and look them up. I'm find out who they yeah. are. Uh, I did that with Bob Dylan with his song um, "Nobody Sings the Blues," like uh, Blind Willie MacTell. Well, I had to go find out who the hell is Blind Willie MacTell, and then I find out he's a blues singer from the '20s, big old Gibson, lead belly guitar, big belly guitar. Uh, slightly out of tune playing incredible music and i thought at the time if bob dylan liked him maybe i should figure out who he is and wow i did like him and i found bob dylan because john lennon promoting the sergeant pepper album said i've been listening to a lot of bob dylan he's the best songwriter ever and i went what that folk singer are you kidding went back and looked up bob dylan bought highway 61 revisited the rest is history so i do that for this album I didn't care who Roy Harper was. Well, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of Roy, sad to say. Poor Roy Harper, they stick him on the worst song, you know, is the worst song on the <laughs> exactly. album is dedicated to him. So it's just like, and if you notice, Roy Harper isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now either. So yeah. I don't know if I had anything to but do I think with you, that. 
I think he was one of those like mentally like I I remember reading something like Jimmy Page was like yeah it was he was an artist we respected and he had a lot of problems which means he was probably mentally ill or like real dr like super drug abuser so he had demons basically. <laughs> Right. Well, but yeah, I think both of you guys are of, right. I think the concept of this song was good, but the execution just fell way short. Yeah. I'd rather have heard it just be Jimmy Page on acoustic guitar and Robert Plant it singing worked, with the microphone. It would have worked a, a lot better if it was a minute and a half long. Yeah. 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 And, three and, strictly, and strictly acoustic, but that's okay. Well, the... Uh, this whole idea of, you know, looking up somebody who gets name-checked in a song, that's actually how I came about... Um, discovering for myself andy kaufman because oh, you know he has that oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and you know the, probably the most famous name check well not the most famous but one of the most famous name checks that i at least know about and i thought well who the fuck is this andy kaufman <laughs> yeah it's uh... and and yeah that is not who andy kaufman really was when you think about it but nevertheless that's where I guess a lot of a lot of it got started for me, and so yeah, it it can sometimes have a kind of neat payoff just because I kind of I really do like Andy Kaufman a lot, but sometimes it, it there's a kind of ugly part to it where you're you're thinking I don't know who Roy Harper is. I'll right. be honest with you guys, I don't really give a damn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's kind of sad because here's a band we all love mentioning some guy, and we just don't care because the song's not that great. Well, what else you guys got on this album? What do you think about Led Zeppelin? Three. Well, I, I guess uh, as a sort of holistic thing, this album, it's, number one, it's, it, I don't know if, if I'd go so far as to say it's my favorite Led Zeppelin album, because, uh, uh, man, there's so much to choose from, but this is so much incredibly, uh, yeah, it's, but it's still incredibly underrated, criminally underrated even. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you know, one of the clearest memories I have of this album, it comes literally from the album. I mean, the CD, right? Because what happened was I was driving home from school one day and I, I was listening to Led Zeppelin 2 at the time, but I, I, I think is what it was. But I had Led Zeppelin 3 in my backpack and I was uh, driving a friend home from school and ended up this deer, because Texas, this deer ran out in the middle of the fucking road and I had to slam the brakes and cut the wheel and I ended up off-roading the car into some grass. It, no big deal. It's just I go straight off the road into, uh, into some grass, but there was no real damage or anything. But, you know, moving around so much, it threw my backpack off of the back seat and it crashed into the back of uh, the driver's seat and I heard something in there snap. And so... Uh, when I got home, pulled it open, and yeah, the uh, CD case had been sheared almost completely in half. The CD itself seemed to be okay. And you know that little paper insert inside of the jewel case? Mm -hmm. mm. That too was actually okay. It was, it, it was the CD case that sacrificed itself to protect the CD. And so, <clears throat> I don't know why, but <laughs> for some reason, <clears throat> that's one of the things that I don't. It's just this weird, fucked up, totally random story that's not even really about Led Zeppelin three. That's one of the things I think of every time I, uh, <laughs> every time the subject of it comes up. It's like, oh yeah, I remember, that's the album that almost got run over. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, it's it's just a weird, fucked up thing. But it was. It was. This is. 
reality recreating Robert Plant's car crash is what it was. <laughs> it's the curse of Led Zeppelin CDs. Oh, you're going to hell for that one. They, they invite yeah. car crashes. Oh, yeah. He's going to hell long. Hey, before it's better that than better than those Leonard Skinner albums. <laughs> just if you got a Leonard Skinner CD, don't take it on a plane with you. Just a little advice. Yeah, you're tempting fate, guys. <laughs> same thing, really, with the Richie Valens CD. And the big bopper, yeah, yeah, the big bopper, yeah. Buddy, Buddy Holly. Holly yeah. If you want to take all three of those, or even CD. Stevie Ray Vaughan, you could say, yeah, oh. yeah. If you, yep. if you want to be a daredevil, you can stuff all those guys' CDs next time you get on a plane, but you just don't want to tempt fate uh, oh, like the first, that. The best or, or part would be is... to make sure it's obvious you're carrying all of those CDs. Oh, yeah, so you, want, as you want to make sure that people seat, find them on your body. <laughs> yes, as you're walking to your seat, people looking at you, and you've got all of those dead airplane-killed musicians. He was wearing a Leonard Skinner Street Survivors t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah. Well, or, or the other thing you could do, you could call this a little bit more passive warfare, but you could catch up with the Justin Bieber tour, and just before he gets on the plane, just stick all those CDs <laughs> in his little carry-on, and just let nature take you. its course. You know, um, <laughs> well. it's just karma. That's all. It's karma. Oh, Justin. Yeah. I doubt that there will be a long play featuring Justin Bieber's you greatest never know. hits. You never know. <laughs> Don't mention oh, it too God. much. You might just inspire someone like me. So now that that that's that's a little, I, I think maybe that should be. Unless any of you guys have anything else, um, on fire that you got to say about Led Zeppelin three. It's a totally underrated album. Yeah, totally underrated compared to the rest. It fits perfectly. It's an a quintessential Led Zeppelin album that really starts them on the course for what follows yeah exactly that like this is you cannot get to led zeppelin 4 with and i don't mean this like chrono chronologically i mean just from a, a creative standpoint you cannot right. get to, to led zeppelin 4 until you first do led zeppelin 3 this is you can't get stairway to heaven without god help us hats off to roy harper that's so. true there it is absolutely all right well, hats off to to, to Dufo de Manzo. <laughs> I've got the key to the highway. I'm bound to curl. I gotta keep walking this highway. Most I eat my breakfast in California. I eat my dinner in California. Oh, I'm gonna keep on, keep on walking this highway. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled... 
T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. This is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.